again, I'm just a human. So it's really important for me to show that, that vulnerable side of me. And it takes, I think it takes confidence to do that because a lot of us are afraid to, to really show ourselves to others, because what if we get rejected? But I've been rejected enough in a lot of the things that I've done that I've realized, hey, if I get rejected, and sometimes people do like, still like they don't like something I said and, and I'm not for everybody. Um, but I think it's so important to be able to put yourself out there and to be good with who you are. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, Go to Solpri.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today uh, does a lot of things. Uh, she's a woman I could only dream to hope to keep up with because she's doing so many things. And this is going to be a pretty, probably action-packed 45, 50 minutes here. So stick with us for the whole time. She is a pro mountain biker, also world champion. That's very important to note. Founder of the brand Moxie and Grit, host of the Sonia Looney Show, a health coach and a mom. Welcome to the show, Sonia Looney. Thanks so much. And I'm so excited to be hanging out with everyone today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's I've had a couple weeks off coming back. Um, saw you had, you know, I had you on my schedule for today. I was like, perfect guest to come back to. Uh, cause there's, uh, in an affectionate way, I say this, there's a lot of meat and potatoes going on with you. Like there's a lot to bite into <laughs> as far as like all of the things you do. Um, so, but let, let's start with the mountain biking. Um, I've had a couple like trail mountain bike guests on, but not a ton. So I always have to ask like, how do you get into it? Cause I, I wouldn't consider it as big a sport as running or road cycling, um, so I'm always curious how people find themselves, you know, kind of in, I'll say lesser known sports, not that it's small. Yeah, it's kind of one of those sports where most people don't just randomly start mountain biking. Mm -hmm. um, I would say like, probably like kayaking or surfing might be another one of those sports They're They're not small sports, but they're just kind of ones where you're not going to just all of a sudden just decide to go out on your own and do it. And maybe some of the listeners have done that. <laughs> um, but for me, uh, I actually played other sports growing up. I played soccer until I was in, until ninth grade. Um, and then I actually, you'll find this interesting. I had to pick between um, continuing as a musician. I played music almost my whole, like most of my life. And I had to pick between band and soccer and I ended up choosing band and I went all in on that and spent a lot of time in high school really focused on that but I also played tennis in high school and then I started running because I just this was like a huge pivotal part of my life um I, it was the first time I had really done something that nobody else in my family or no one that I knew had done and when I was 18 I decided I was going to run a marathon so basically decided to start running ran a marathon started going to the gym as well and spin class at the gym is what got me into cycling and some guys from my work invited me to go mountain biking. And two weeks later, they challenged me to do my first race. And I'm kind of an all-in type of person. So I was like, sure, 
I'm going to do this mountain bike race. I have confidence from running marathons, so I'm going to do it. So yeah, when I was 20, I did my first mountain bike race and uh, the rest is pretty much history. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it, 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 so it's almost like a, um, a series of random events or a chance that kind of brings us to the things we do. It's like, I, I wonder sometimes, you know, think about, um, I think it was Ashton Kutcher and the butterfly effect about stuff like that where it's like just something a little bit is different and then you get sent down this completely different path like what if you didn't go to cycling class you would had gone to like i don't even know like a, a boxing class or something like would you have ended up in a completely different sport or like just sometimes i marvel at the little oddities of our lives and how they lead us to where we end up going yeah, that's why it's so important to explore your curiosity, no matter what it is or whatever it, it's in, even if it's not sports, because, man, there's all the pivot points in my life where because I had the courage to explore curiosity and it's completely changed my life. So if someone listening is like, I'm, I really want to try this other thing, like just go for it and don't worry about what it's going to look like. Don't worry about what other people are going to think. Just give it a try because it might change your life. Well, I don't know how you feel about this, but I have this kind of saying for people that are like, I don't have any hobbies or I don't have any interests. I'm like, just say yes to stuff for a while. Like it's, it's totally fine if you don't stick with it, but like, just try it. If you don't like it, stop doing it. Like it's, it, I, I, I don't know if there's trepidation in starting something new or it's like, oh, I gotta be good at it. It's like, no, just, you're probably gonna suck and that's okay. And just embrace the suck and, and enjoy yourself and just say yes to things for a while. Like, I, I don't know you know, I, I know you talk a lot about like mindset on your show. Um, so I don't know how you kind of view that situation. When If you come across somebody who's like, what do I do? I don't do anything. Yeah. I mean, first this reminds me of the quote, be brave enough to suck at something new. Um, you're going to suck when you first start and be excited about that because that means that you're going to get to improve and see these rapid improvements. Once you've been doing something for a while, it's a lot harder to improve. And also guess what? once you're doing something for a while, there's going to be days where you still suck. Like I have days where, you know, sure. I have all these accolades, but there's days where I'm not doing awesome out there. I'm just out there showing up. So, um, I tell people just to show up. And if you're not sure of what you like to do, like you said, just be curious, go maybe if you like doing things with friends, go do things with friends. Um, try to have a sense of humor and not take yourself too seriously. And I love trying new things. Like I, like I was a runner before, but I haven't ran in a really long time. And I started trail running recently. And I live in Squamish, British Columbia, which is has the most amazing trails in the world. And if someone listening is like, no, my trails are amazing. I'm sure they are too, but my trails are, Squamish is pretty awesome. Um, but the trails are notably technical. It's very steep, it's really yeah. rocky and rooty and there's never any um, like smooth uh, sailing. So I fall down a lot <laughs> trail running and it's funny because you think, well, she's this crazy endurance athlete. Like she's probably amazing at it. And it's like, no, I suck at it. And I fall down and I get back up again and I come home with skin knees and I'm excited about that. Well, like, I mean, there's obviously the very technical aspect to being on the bike in that kind of terrain as well. I would assume at some point you probably still fall down here and there in that environment too, right? Oh, absolutely. I still fall on my bike and usually it's something dumb. It's, it's like a lot of, actually a lot of people who've been riding bikes for a long time, their worst injuries are just from like riding a really easy trail just because you're not paying attention. Just go like starting to coast and like, eh, it's fine. There's, no big deal. Yeah. 
and that's always like I, I think that kind of stuff's good for um new people to whatever sport it is to like realize it's like even the best in the sport still are not perfect you know what i mean because I, I think sometimes we we look up to and i don't know how you feel being on kind of the other side of this equation but we look up to you know big sports stars like oh they're so amazing and they can do all these amazing things and like we almost make a like an icon out of them instead of a person instead of realizing like uh you know they're they're still going to screw up like and just being able to hear that from you or or any professional athlete i think is great just so it's like oh like they they do have a a real you know brain going on they're not just this like like perfect person moving through space doing all the things i could never do because i'm human and fallible yeah i mean something that's really important for me and everybody's different but for me I don't want people to just put me on a pedestal and say, wow, she's awesome. I want people to see that I'm a human being too. And just like them, I have my struggles and my insecurities and days when I want to give up um, and that you can do it. And if I can do it, then you can do it too. And it might look different the way you're doing it. But again, I'm just a human. So it's really important for me to show that that vulnerable side of me. And it takes, I think it takes confidence to do that because a lot of us are afraid to, to really show ourselves to others because what if we get rejected? But I've been rejected enough in a lot of the things that I've done that I've realized, hey, if I get rejected, and sometimes people do like, still like they don't like something I said and, and I'm not for everybody. Um, but I think it's so important to be able to put yourself out there and to be good with who you are um, without needing other people to be like, oh, you know, you're only good because I'm validating you. So like learning to have that internal confidence and that actually comes from trying new things. Confidence comes from um, seeing small improvements and believing in yourself because you were able to do that other little thing. Well, maybe I can do this next thing. And then you realize like, hey, I'm gonna be okay no matter what. And also the people that are really close in your life, I think it, it is okay to you know really want them, wanna care what they think and really want their support because you do, nobody does it alone and you do need to have support but you can choose who you want that support from that reminds me of um i don't know if it's a saying but just advice from one of my business mentors and, and friends um when i met him in my it would have been early 20s so i was just out of college he had told me you know there's any given person you know we have these connections we've got facebook and instagram and all these friends quote unquote and you know these social connections that we can see visibly online but despite all that he continued to assert you know any given person there's basically four or five people that care about you and the rest don't obviously there's some nuance to that but it just reminds me of that and knowing that like if you know i don't know random person run down, down, run the, down the sidewalk goes Hey, I don't like your shirt. Okay. Like, <laughs> like they don't, number one, they don't have that much influence in your life, but also like they didn't care about you to begin with. So why give them any weight? Yeah, exactly. I love that. Be, be careful who you spend time with, but, but love those people. And yeah, don't worry about the opinion of everybody else online or in person on the street. Yeah. Well, that that's the balance though, right? It's like, I've said it, I'm 
almost positive you've probably heard it and possibly said it because you almost just said it about um you know you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with um so it's like you have to choose those people wisely because they do influence you as much as we like to think like I'm my own autonomous person and nothing influences me and I choose all of my things. It's like, well, no, like, I mean, we're kind of this interconnected thing, but then once you're careful about who you choose, then, you know, living within that paradigm, I think is okay to, to a greater or lesser degree. I like it. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to back up before we get too far. Uh, before we got going, I said I wouldn't do too many hard stops, but this is one that really is. So I got to back up uh, to music and I'll probably make an ass of myself, but I, that's okay. Uh, just like we were talking about, it's fine. Um, I want to get, so you're in band. I, I want to guess you're a woodwind player. My initial thought was flute or oboe, but I'd love for you to tell me I'm really wrong. No, you actually are pretty much spot on. I played flute and I also played piccolo. Um, I started in sixth grade and honestly, I chose the instrument because I, I really looked up to my cousin and that was the instrument that she played. So I thought I, I want to do that too. Um, and I liked it and I was good at it. And I loved, um, and I still love this. I, I, am, I have lots of musical instruments in, in my house. In fact, when people come over, because my husband and I both love tinkering with music now. We don't have the same dedicated practice time that, that cause he also played music growing up. Yeah. But people think that we're like really good at all of these <laughs> instruments that they see. And we're like, well, no, but yeah. So I, I just loved it. And I love with music, how you can work at it and work at it. And then you can suddenly get it and you can hear it. And it's, it's just like a sport. It's mm -hmm. the same thing. You're like training skills, you're training a new pathway in your brain. And what I really miss is playing um, in a group. And that's probably the reason why I stopped playing. And I thought about this because this also happens with um, some team sports in college for people. Like they, they do something their whole life and then they're out and then they have nowhere to go mm -hmm. if they want to do something in a group. Um, and I remember looking for like a community, just like a community music, like band that I could just go, go play music with because I really love that part. But yeah, sadly, that isn't in my life like it used to be. Yeah, it's it is definitely not easy to find a group, especially if you played for a long time. I'm fortunate um, to still be a part of the group I played with in college who's in the transition period right now to more of a community orchestra or symphony, I guess. Um, but for the longest time, it was like a mix of students, community volunteers, and paid professionals. And it's still going to be that way, but just like like many, many orchestras and symphonies around the world, funding has just continued to dwindle. So now it's like flexing into almost entirely students and community like volunteers. And then the principals for the sections will still be paid. So they'll still be, you know, some familiar faces will still be around. But um, I also know, like, like you said, not everybody has access to that. And it, I don't know, it's kind of a shame because it's like, especially if you spend so much time growing up, practicing, playing, becoming proficient, you do lose some of that if you're not active at it. And I, you know, I'm, I, you know, first, first rehearsals here in a month, I'm going to have to like get my chops back on. Cause I, <laughs> I get off the plague <laughs> for a while that I'm like, all right. Um, but so I, I, I'm a little disappointed that I was accurate in my, in my guessing. And for those listening, or watching she did not actually tell me beforehand but 
I, I, are you with me though that like there's a certain look to each kind of section for some reason like people have like typically you can tell you're probably you probably play this kind of instrument you you have that same kind of feeling possibly but i almost played trumpet it was between flute and trumpet See, that's what I, was, I was hoping you'd be like oh. <laughs> i was hoping you'd be like no i actually play I, I can only play two songs on the trumpet so i can't <laughs> claim to be a trumpet player and it sounds awful <laughs> well i mean it, the uh, i for, just forgot the word the the movements you do with your mouth are different embouchure yes i was like i was like yeah. emb i was like how do you say that? <laughs> uh yeah. you could tell i'm a string player uh i was just like i mean the what you have to do to actually make the 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 instrument pronounce the sounds are distinctly different between the two right mm -hmm. for sure <laughs> yeah so I, I mean like anything else it's another skill you got to acquire and if you're not playing with anybody then why are you going to acquire the skills to play the trumpet i don't know that's why I'm working on piano and guitar, because <laughs> those you basically have the whole orchestra with you on, on some on some level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll come back to biking a little bit. What does a season look like for you where you're like, I assume you're traveling a lot or you, you just staying uh, countryside, you traveling internationally? What, what, how does your season evolve? Yeah, it really depends on the person and the type of discipline you're focused on. So if people are familiar with running, like in running, there's all the different distances. There's there's anything from like, you know, running on the track to like 5K, 10K, um, you know, half marathon, marathon, ultra marathon. There's all the different distances. And in cycling, there's also like different types of circuits. So there's only one Olympic distance for mountain biking in the Olympics. And that's a shorter, that's more like a 10K um, maybe up to like a half marathon distance if you're comparing it to running. So it's called cross country racing. Mm -hmm. That's what the world cup circuit is like. So that's the same races every single year where there's like points that you get and you're trying to go to the Olympics. I tried that style of racing for about eight years and it wasn't really my thing. Like I wasn't bad at it, but I was never going to be, you know, Olympic quality. And I honestly, like, I didn't stop doing that style of racing because I wasn't good at it, but I stopped it because I really wanted more adventure. So I started doing these longer races, like 50 miles, 100 miles, seven day races. And that ended up working out really well for me because I loved the adventure of it. And I was also really good at the really long races. Mm -hmm. So with that, there isn't really like a circuit. There's, there's tons of different like ultra endurance races around the world. Some of them you know, are ones that are highly notable in the media and others are more off the beaten path. And I've set my career, career up so that I get to choose what races I go to. So pre-pandemic and pre-having a son, I would race about nine months out of the year. My season would start in the Southern Hemisphere in January, February. I go to places like New Zealand or Chile. Um, sometimes in February, I would go to Spain to race. And then, yeah, so I, my, my goal with racing was to just find the adventure. So some of the races would be domestic in Canada or the United States, but oftentimes I'd be looking for races um, all over the world and I've raced I haven't raced in Antarctica but I've 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 either ridden or raced my bike on every continent um I've raced my bike in 25 more than 25 countries at this point um yeah but it's going to look a little bit different now uh and this was this was intentional I've I've had the luxury of doing all of these events so now um you know post pandemic hopefully I'll be racing probably two international events per year and then doing the rest um domestically that way I can have my son with me at the races it's always nice when you can pick your own schedule 
um like i remember you know, competing in college and you just you go to everything the coaches say we're going to this and you go run that and in some way there's there's a nice part of the simplicity of it where it's just like coach says jump you say how high and you just do it but at the same time then it's like when you have complete control over your schedule you get to pick i, I don't know about you but i don't always pick like big races i like big races but sometimes i'll pick just an off off the beaten path oddball kind of race because it's like oh it looks fun like i just want to go out like i'm gonna go as hard as i can but it like there's probably not going to be a really deep field or anything. It's just like, I'm going to go enjoy myself, kind of get the legs going for a little while. Um, do, you, do you do that? Or you just say, I'm only doing like competitive type stuff. I mean, it's going to be different. I assume being a pro versus me just kind of going out for fun. Um, I sort of sprinkle that in. So I'll do the odd event where there's not many people like the smallest event I've ever done, I think had, 40 people and it was in Nepal and the reason there was only 40 people is because that was the cap for the race and it's the highest mountain bike race in the world and mm. it's actually dangerous to have more than that um, but I tip yeah I, I kind of mix it up like I've done the biggest races in the world because I love having that really deep field of competition because I believe that competition is an opportunity to make you better because without that competition you might not push yourself quite as hard and for me, like, sure, I love winning races and I've won a lot of races, but it's about an effort that I'm proud of. And it's about um, going out there and, and maybe seeing a side of myself I haven't seen before. And sometimes that involves going to a race with only 40 people where it's in the middle of nowhere, where I'm pushing my limits in a different way. And sometimes that involves pushing my limits physically so hard where I, I think my tank is empty and I just can keep going and somehow pull out a result. So it really just depends um, is the answer. And I try to have a balance of both because I like growing in different ways and those different types of events provide different opportunities. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get your opinion on, um, so this question kind of involves a little bit of setup um, in that I have only won a handful of races over my 20 years of, of racing, um, but continue to enjoy it. So you might call me a perpetual loser. Um, but I, I'd like your opinion on if what your preference is. Would you rather not win a race and feel like you absolutely gave everything you could or win a race, go really hard, and then go, did I give everything that I could? That's an easy one for me. It was the first option. I would much rather go and get the most out of myself and not win then go win and not get as much out of myself. And I've been in both of those situations multiple times. And sure, like it, well, it depends on what you're focused on. Like initially I would say when I started racing, I really was focused on the outcome. I really wanted to win because mm. I wanted people to like me. I wanted, I thought people would like me more if I won. I wanted to be considered relevant, like all of those things, which is kind of embarrassing to say, but I think everybody can relate with that. Yeah. Um, but eventually it, it shifted and it was like, well, I really want something that's going to push me. And that's why I've been racing bikes since 2003 is because I love to see, see what's in me, no matter what the result is going to be. And again, I want to be proud of that effort. So yeah, I've won races and just been like, eh, I don't feel very fulfilled from that. And having that experience helps me answer this question. <laughs> yeah. Some people are like, well, are you crazy? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much emphasis on winning, but it's like, I, I think to me, 
the ideal scenario is like one of two things like a sprint finish where you just barely win and that's you had to dig as deep as you can or like a come from behind kind of finish where it's like you didn't sprint but it's like you still had to dig to overcome you were behind at some point and you had to really work to get there like to me those are the two scenarios where it feels satisfying winning versus like i've been at races like i said i've only won a handful of times in my 20 years of racing but there have been races where i know the guy that wins i mean just blew us all out of the water like it it was wire to wire it was no contest it was from the very beginning and i wonder i'm like i mean clearly they had a spectacular day at least comparatively but were they satisfied and and having not won that many i that's just something i think about um i think and part of the reason i don't win a ton is because i'm often trying to get beat i don't want to be in the front because i don't want to be in that position where it's like you just blew everybody else out of the water because you showed up to a like a couch to 5k event or something and mm-hmm. like you know people aren't in the same kind of uh, shape that you are so i don't think they're mutually exclusive though like i think you can win a race and have have completely crushed yourself and mm. i think that was that first scenario that you were yeah. describing yeah i set it um, i set it up a little bit whereas i, I kind of made a, a false dichotomy but i think ultimately it's it's um you know, number one, like I said, being proud of your effort. And number two, like with goal setting, a lot of times we're so focused on the outcome and it's really about setting behavioral goals. So instead of saying like, I want to run a marathon in, you know, three hours and 25 minutes, it's like, my goal is to be a runner and to be a marathon runner. And that happens by showing up however many days a week that you're training, making these choices that you're training, um, and being that person, not mm-hmm. having this outcome, because you can't control the outcome. Like you, and you aren't even entitled to the outcome. You're only entitled to the work, um, which is why, like, I, I came up with this mantra that I think of all the time, and it's the work is the reward. And it's a reminder that the outcome is not the reward; it's the work part, because that's the part that you're doing every single day, and the race is just the cherry on top. Can you can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on you're not entitled to the outcome? Because I think. Yeah, I think that concept is probably alien to a lot of people because it's like, what is what is she on about? Like, of course I'm entitled to the outcome. I put in the work, so can you? But you can can't you control the outcome, moment? right? Like in an in an event, something could happen that, or maybe people are just better than you. Like just because you work super hard, that doesn't mean that you are entitled to win the race. There might be somebody else who works just as hard as you or harder than you. Or maybe they had the most amazing day, or maybe you just had bad luck or like, there's a number of things that could happen. So if you're so focused, like I've been there, I've been focused, so focused on winnings and you start, you start playing not to lose and you get tight and like you get negative and it's just a really bad headspace. And the reason why most of us do this is because it's fun. And when you start focusing on that, it's not really fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're, you're entitled to the work. You can control the amount of work that you put in and the attitude and mindset that you bring. But there is no way you could say on race day when you line up to a start line, yeah, like I am entitled to this outcome because you just, you can't control that. That's the thing I find so like so interesting or, or amusing or something along those lines is like, you're not the first person that I've spoken to that's kind of expressed that idea where it's like, 
I'm sure I've had coaches talk about it over the years. You know, when I think about my coaches, I think about them just saying, you know, focus on you and yourself and like the time will take care of itself. It's along with placement, like, you know, you'll finish wherever you finish. And like, if you put in the work, you get the best out of yourself, like the, let the chips fall where they may. But then I, I think about that in contrast to what, I, and I don't say this disparagingly, but just what I would consider the kind of like layman's view of sport, where it's like just so focused on, like if we're watching, like, like I watch uh, our local soccer team. And so if I'm watching a match focused on want the team to win, like I'm not focused on, oh, did, you know, did X, Y, and Z player have the best game or did they execute, you know, the plays well, but the internals of it is like when they interview the coach, it's exactly what he says. He's like, Oh, they were playing well. or They're not playing well, whether they're winning or losing. He always talks about like, Oh, they can fix this or they're doing really well and is not focused on that outcome. Even though like the interviewer is always like, how are you going to win? How are you going to like, <laughs> like that's well, the projection. Be good. It would- it wouldn't be good sports if the spectators didn't care about the outcome. Cause that's why right. people are really passionate about watching sports, but the right. players themselves, I mean, of course they want to win and I'm sure that they are emotional and upset if they put in the work and they don't win. Um, but in the moment you can't be thinking about that. You gotta be thinking about what can I do right, right now? What is the task at hand so that I can be my best and you can control your, your, your attitude, your mm-hmm. effort, your actions in your mind. You can't control what other people are doing. You can't control the weather. <laughs> you can't control random bad luck that might happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't control if someone's just better than you. And that, that's hard to swallow when someone's just better than you. And it, even with podcasting, like this is another example. Like we show up every single week and we work our butt off to put out podcasts and we love the process of it. Otherwise you wouldn't do it because it mm-hmm. is hard to be consistent with a podcast. <laughs> yeah. Props to you. Um, no, I mean, props to you as well. If you, so Sonia has a show, and as I mentioned to her before we were recording, she's like 140 episodes on top of where I am. So she's she's been at it even longer than I have. So don't don't let her like, fool you into thinking that she's like not with podcasts, like you can't control where you're gonna fall on the chart. You right. like relative to somebody else, you can't even really control the lit like the amount of listeners. Like you can try and promote the show, and just you just for me, it's like. I just put out the very best work that I can. Mm-hmm. And I hope that makes a difference in someone's life. But if I start comparing myself to other people or saying, why am I not this number on the chart? Then I'm so focused on the outcome. And that's something I have no control over. I can just put in my best effort mm-hmm. and that has to be enough. Yeah. Well, it's, I think that's the, the probably healthy way to approach it. In knowing that you said this earlier too, like sometimes people just aren't going to like you. And that's okay. And I think that's the same thing with the show. It's like, well, I think you and I both have a lot of things to say and, and excellent guests to share with people. But it's like each guest is not going to be for everybody. And the collective group of guests is definitely not going to be for everybody for various reasons. One of them may be just somebody's just not in the right headspace to receive that message at that time, even if it, it may resonate with them eventually. Because, you know, I think we both on our respective shows talk about mindset a lot and and that kind of genre of conversations. It's it's a big passion of mine to work on, you know, what's going on up here. But 
I know some people may just be like, ah, just, I just want to work out. I don't want to, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to like dig too hard into my brain. It's like, well, maybe the show's not for you and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you don't have to, you don't have to do that. And it's not easy. Like I'm saying all these things like, oh, like don't be focused on the outcome X, Y, Z. Everybody is in the back of their mind thinking about it. And it's not just like this thing you suddenly turn off. It's something that you have to work out work at every single day for the rest of your life because in our society we're conditioned to be focused on the outcome and have our self-worth tied to that outcome and it's it's just a continuous work of reminding yourself like this is what I'm here for and when it's hard even like another thing I love saying is this is what you came for like if I'm doing a hard interval workout or work is crazy and I'm stressed out about all these different projects I have going on it's like this is what I signed up for so I better appreciate that even if it's hard you don't have to like it in the moment but you just keep pushing just like in a race, like uh, you're going to have peaks and valleys and moments you want to give up. What do you do in that moment when you want to give up? Do you give in or do you push through knowing that it's going to get better and having that optimistic um, outlook on the bigger picture? I'm thinking about like, you know, all the things you do. I I got kind of several questions, but I I don't know which tributary to go down here. First, I guess I'll have to ask, why did you start your show? Um, you know, it, as you mentioned, it is a lot of work to put in to, you know, week after week, do the research, show up, have the conversation, get it edited, put it out, you know, do the promotion, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're already racing professionally. You have your own company. You're, you know, taking care of a young son. You got enough on your plate. So like, why? I mean, obviously the, the podcast came before the son, I guess, but still you're continuing with it you've committed to it i mean why start it in the first place uh well honestly racing professionally isn't enough for me like i'm deeply tied to like why i get out of bed in the morning and Mm -hmm. sure initially it was like i got to be the best racer that i can be but it's evolved so much more it's so much bigger than myself is i want to help people be better every day so that people can feel fulfilled and happy and empowered in their lives to go for the thing that they want to do because I feel for whatever reason, I've been able to do that. And I want other people to believe that they can do that too. And initially, you know, that, that manifestation of that started um, in writing. Like I wrote for tons of magazines. I still write quite a bit. I just wanted to share my story initially to help people see themselves in the story and go do rad things. And they actually did that. So I was like, oh, wow, this is actually working. And then, you know, social media came about after that. Cause I had like a blog and all those things. And then mm-hmm. social media came about. And then that was the vehicle to help people make these personal changes and, and, you know, explore their potential. And then podcasting came about and I started mine about four and a half years ago. And I just thought, you know what, I want to, number one, I want to help people be better, but I want to put, put other people out there, give a platform to other people so they can tell their story. Because like we talked about earlier, maybe my story um, really resonates with somebody, but maybe it doesn't resonate with somebody else. But if I can have a conversation with somebody different, that might get through to that person so that they can wake up the next morning and be like, I am excited to get out of bed today. And I feel like I'm going to go after that thing that I want. Like that is the most important thing to me. And that is what is the, the reason why I do everything that I do. And those are all just different ways that I do it. Well, you know, I, I don't know what your experience is, but I know I find sometimes like a guest and I can be saying the same things and we'll say it differently. And then in a turn that you know some people may grab onto how i say it and, and other people may grab onto how they say it and 
like the message, the underlying message is still the same, but it's like allowing somebody to, you know, helping somebody give a voice like to, to their, the people that you, you know, kind of nurture in your community. Like this podcast is associated with my company and, you know, I send it to my email subscribers and, put, you know, put it on social media and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, I'm not the ultimate authority on everything. So it's, it's fun to be able to share, like let people like you share your experience and thoughts and like just the way you view the world because having those unique viewpoints can possibly help people in ways I simply don't have the ability to or can't because I just don't connect with them in a certain way. And podcasts are a great crash course for learning something new mm-hmm. that like I've had my interest sparked by listening to other shows of getting just a taste of a different field of research or somebody else's story. And then I've been able to open up that can and go straight down, um, I guess, can of worms or down the rabbit hole and learn so much from that person just because I heard them on a one hour podcast. Mm-hmm. The other thing I really wanted to ask you about was uh, your, your brand, Moxie and Grit. Um, because I, I don't think I have enough um, creative potential in, in that particular uh, direction to make uh, cool apparel like you do. Um, but I thought about it. I'm like, I wish I could have cool apparel. So whenever I see people doing it, I'm always like, that's awesome. Um, it's just just not how my brain works. Uh, I can find artists, but I can't, I can't quite do it myself. So where did the brain come from? Obviously, you know, it's kind of tied into your lifestyle a little bit, but um, it's another one of those things, like you're already doing a lot of things. Why, why start like a, a brand that is one, something new, but two physical products, which if you aren't aware is a logistical <laughs> nightmare. If you're not familiar with supply chains and whatever particular product you're trying to bring to market. Especially in two countries, or we, we sell apparel internationally, but mm-hmm. especially like I'm based in Canada and the business is based in the US. So that's yeah. been a learning curve. Um, honestly, I was already doing it. I just wasn't doing it under my own brand. Like I just, I love the idea of putting, so Moxie and Grit has, it's mostly um, really high performance so- cycling and running socks. So the quality of the sock is very, very high. Um, to withstand like your feet sweating so your feet don't stink and your socks don't get all wet like that type of performance but I wanted to make people laugh and I also wanted people to remind themselves not to take themselves too seriously so our sock words our socks have cuss words on them um, they have funny mantras they have just things to make you laugh and certainly not everybody wants to wear cuss words on their socks and we also have socks for people that don't like cuss words but that was the initial intent behind it is like, I just want to make people laugh and have fun more. And that's why I started wearing crazy socks. And I was designing socks for a sponsor of mine. And um, it was cool if they gave me the opportunity to just play around with some ideas, but, and then they would start selling them. And then my first sock idea became the best selling sock in the world for their brand. So I thought, whoa, like I, I just kind of gave them this idea. I didn't really like do anything. I just kind of gave it to them. So, and then another brand uh, wanted to work with me to collaborate and then I thought well maybe I should just make my own brand because then I have full freedom Mm -hmm. I have full autonomy again this is theme coming up (laughs) (laughs) um and I had worked in marketing before and I just thought I'd just figure it out as I went so yeah that's what I've done it's been gosh I don't know how long it's been probably again around that four-year mark since I started Moxie and Grid and we've Mm -hmm. expanded to 
um, you know, some cycling apparel, arm warmers, jerseys, we have funny hats and t-shirts. And I just love seeing people rocking these, these things. And then they pick it on their hard days. They pick it on the day that they're going to go do something crazy. Mm. And it makes them just feel even more excited and motivated about that. And it's so cool to be able to be along for somebody's journey in that way. And I chose the name Moxie and Grit very intentionally because I thought, what are, what are the two most important things that you need to have an awesome adventure in your life? And you need to have Moxie, force of character, pep, and you need to have grit, not, not giving up and just, you know, being able to get in there whenever things are hard. So that's why I chose that. Is um, So for those listening, if you want to check it out, I want to ask, is everything direct to consumer? Like everything I do with Soul Free is direct to consumer at this point, not in retail stores, but that's not how everybody runs their brand. So is it, is it all direct to consumer? Are you in stores? Like what, what's the distribution like? Uh, currently it's um, direct, to, well, it's primarily direct to consumer. And that was the model that I wanted to do because it's a lot easier. <laughs> um, well, I guess it depends on what your model is, but for me, that was a lot right. easier to do it that way. There are some stores that carry it. If a store comes to me and they say, hey, we want to carry your product, then I, I'm not going to turn them away, but we mm-hmm. don't actively seek out, you know, we don't have a, a sales rep force. And um, from a forecasting perspective, like if we want to go into that side of the business, that, that's something that is, that's out of my league mm-hmm. to be able to say, okay, at the beginning of the year, like already having to guess how many, how many of something to make, because a lot of the things I have to pay up front for, Yeah. Um, you know, you have to guess like what size and what colors and how many, and then if you start having stores, you know, ordering and you don't know exactly how much to make, that would require me to either increase my education level or hire somebody else yeah. to take care of that part. So yeah, we're just, we're not there with the B2B, but we do a little bit of B2B. Yeah. I, well, I'm kind of the same way that you are. It's just like, if somebody wants it, um, I'll, I'll discuss it, but it's just like, it, I think that the part that people have a hard time understanding and I have, I have Canadian customers that want to order and like shipping is ridiculous for very small items from the U.S. to Canada. It, yeah we offer shipping to Canada and it's like it's nuts and I used yeah. to keep a stock of socks and apparel at my house in Canada so that yeah. if Canadian customers wanted it I could ship it but then it was just getting ridiculous because then I'd like run out of something in the U.S. and then I have it in Canada and it's just this huge nightmare yeah. so I was like sorry Canadians even though I'm one of you right now like I, I'm originally American but I'm also now Canadian dual citizen so yeah it's it's logistical it's just really tough especially when you want an international market yeah it's like it's one of those things that I always find is tough because it's like I I want to serve you I want to help get this product to you but like, I also can't just take a loss on every order. To, so it's, yeah. like, it's, it's tough because it's like you want to. And then, you know, I, I have not infrequently Canadian customers go, oh, I, I I thought maybe you'd be in, you know, some retail stores here or something. And it's mm-hmm. like, just not not that big a brand yet. Or I mean, reasonably big for how long I've been around, but a similar time from you, like five years. Um, but there's so many challenges. I was, I was talking to my wife about this earlier, just like when you're not, so for you listening, I know I'm kind of, I'm, I'm way off the charts now, um, but just, you know, when you're running a brand, there's, there's such a big journey from like, I'm going to start this, you know, bootstrap it on my own to from there all the way into like national or international retail distribution. Like there's years or decades often of, getting to that point and i think with the shift to like direct-to-consumer brands 
that's been something that's hard for a lot of people to recognize that like no like this is just something that you order online it doesn't exist in stores because the business model just doesn't support that method of distribution at this time yeah for sure it's definitely complicated and also currency differences can be very complicated yes. people are oh. like oh like why why like it's, it's too expensive it's in u.s dollars it's like uh, well my manufacturing costs are in u.s dollars <laughs> yeah yeah that was that's always a tough one because it's like it's a constant moving target and you have to build in for that like there's nothing you can do about it it's just you're like both of us are you know costs are in u.s dollars it's like well then my costs are fixed if the, if the exchange rate is variable, then the price is unfortunately very variable with the other currencies. Yeah. Ugh, it's, it, it can become a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I, I know we've gotten way far down the rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll bring us back um, here for the end of our chat today. So I ask everybody a question for each season of the show so that I have like a singular theme to ask every single person. Um, this year, the question I'm asking, which I'll ask you is, how do you stay motivated after failing to reach a goal? Actually, um, I let myself feel the failure and be mad about it or upset about it or however I feel about it. I, I don't ignore that feeling. And then I let it motivate me. I say, this, like, I'm going to learn from this. And again, I don't have to like this feeling, but I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to work harder I'm gonna, or smarter and I'm going to come back and I'm going to give it a go again. And then I also remind, remind myself that failure is not proof that I'm not good enough at something. And a lot of times people think, oh, I failed. So I guess I'm just not cut out for this. But I think that the more you fail, the more you learn that um, this is part of the journey. Like a failure is not a sidestep from the path. Like failure is the path and you have to fail your way to the top. And that might sound really crazy for somebody, but anybody who's at the top of anything or not even at the top of anything, those people failed their way there. And that's the only way to learn. If it comes easy to you, it's only a matter of time um, before the bottom's going to fall out. So yeah, you have to think about how you want to view failure in your life, how you want to um, like pick yourself back up again. And every time you pick yourself back up again and keep going, it gets easier to do. I like the failure rate at the top. I, I think it really kind of edifies the, the mentality, right? Where it's like, you just accept I'm going to fail instead of being afraid of it embracing it and just being like that's the thing i've got to do not that you want to mess everything up but just knowing think things just aren't going to go well sometimes and that's okay something else that i've had to learn um <laughs> is that you don't just stay at the top like you mm -hmm. might be at the top for like a day or a year or however long but that is fleeting because there's a bunch of other people who are awesome out there who are working really hard as well um so it's going to be like if you're on a mountain range, like you're going to be, sometimes you're on the peak and sometimes you're walking up the next hill, wondering where the heck you are. So yeah, you just have to stay the course, have, have moxie and grit. <laughs> yeah. Sonia, uh, where can people find you, get to the show, get the socks, all that kind of stuff. My website is the best place to do that. SoniaLooney.com. We're about to launch a new website that we've been working on for quite some time. So I'm very excited about that, but yeah, you can find my podcast, you can find my brand, you can find my writing, you can um, sign up to be a client of mine for health coaching, which is all about behavior change. I'd love to hear from you guys. I love connecting with people. I read every single message that you send me. I answer all the comments and messages on Instagram, which is at Sonia Looney. And yeah, thanks so much for the opportunity to have me, Jesse. Absolutely. Thanks for hanging out with me today. <laughs>